1: Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news! Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com/slash/adfreefitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of Acast shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.
0: This is the Secret Library podcast, and I am somewhat shocked to share that this is now season seven. While I was pondering the theme for this season, it felt difficult to narrow in on one thing that would be most useful to us in this moment, which has been so full of confusion, upheaval, turmoil, and stress. But then it came to me that writing is like this too, and after we get started, after we've been working on a project for a while, There is a point where we're uncertain and where we don't know what to do next. It's a point many of us call the murky middle. And it suddenly felt like exactly the right thing to talk about with an illustrious lineup of authors this season. Both new debut writers as well as household names, in fact. I am particularly delighted to share that we will be starting today with a previous podcast guest, Chloe Benjamin, who was on when her second novel, The Immortalists, came out. And I was able to catch her in the middle of her next novel. And we talked about all aspects of this process from inside her own middle and when it's felt murky, when it's felt more certain and how she's gotten through this process. I'm so happy to have the beginning of the season start with Chloe Benjamin. Hi, Chloe. It's such a treat to have you back on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I loved chatting with you a few years ago and I'm thrilled to be back.
0: Well, it's fun to have you this time as we're talking about the the murky or messy middle, depending on how you feel about it. And we have caught you, fortunately, when you are in the middle of a project. We're not talking about a book that's coming out this moment. And I'm just wondering if you can give us just a little temperature check on how it's feeling to be in the middle of the project at the moment.
1: Well, I love this theme for your season. I think it's so resonant for both readers and writers, because no matter what you do, you're used to being in the middle of a project in all of its complexity and frustration and excitement. And I think we don't talk enough about that stage of the process, which of course is really the whole thing. I mean, you know, by the time you're promoting a book, it's, it's all done. And so with this book in particular, I've been trying to really slow down and enjoy the process and tell myself, you know, this is the good part. This is the creating, Um, which doesn't mean that there aren't many periods in which it's maddening. So I guess I would say for a temperature check right now, right now, I feel good. Maybe catch us up on
0: what's happened since The Immortalists came out and how the writing has gone since then, up to the point now, if you can.
1: Yeah. So when I finished The Immortalists, I had been working on that book for really almost five years. And we sold the book in 2016. And after I finished edits, I had the idea for another manuscript. So as I was promoting The Immortalists, which kind of took place from 2017 to 2019, I was also getting going on this other project. Um, And that was a project that was a challenge from the start. I tend to pick projects that are pretty ambitious and you know, if I if I'm sure that I can pull it off, it doesn't excite me enough to carry me through the years of work that a novel requires. But that means that I'm always kind of dancing at the edge of my ability and um, at the edge of a concept that may or may not work. Um, this particular book, as I said, the idea came to me in 2016. It was a book that had to do with the political landscape at that time and. Mm. As we moved into a a Trump presidency, it became really stressful to be trying to work on what was a kind of alternate political history at the same time that we were enduring a really horrifying political moment. I was so loath to give up on that book because I had put years of work into it. But by the time 2020 came around, it had been four years of work on the book. And I just realized I couldn't figure out how to make it work in that moment. And it was incredibly painful to set aside. There's still so much that I love about it. I hope I can return to it in some capacity. But it was really humbling, especially after the experience of The Immortalist, which was so incredible in terms of the unexpected success that we had with that book. Um, So here I was with a book I'd been working on for four years, and I realized I had to set it aside. But around that time, I came up with a new idea. And ideas don't come very often for me. I always say that's why I'm a novelist instead of a short story writer or shorter form writer. Um, And this new idea was very different than the previous one, quite different than anything I'd written before. And it kind of came over me in this really visceral um, several week period in in which I felt like there was this almost physical birth happening and mm. you know, taking just like tons of notes, um, ideas pouring out onto the page and, when that happens, I tend to know that there's something good there. And, you know, that had happened with this book that I started in 2016 and set aside, and that had happened with The Immortalist. So that's sort of my cue, like, this is worth pursuing. But even so, given the history that I had with the previous manuscript, you know, I didn't know if I'd be able to pull this one off either. But I decided to try, and that's the book I've now been working on for about two and a half years. That's, that. it brings up such a good question because I
0: think that we have this idea that just because an idea has legs or because it has potential, that there's, that that's the only question worth considering. You know, is this, is this the kinds of questions I get are like, is this idea good enough to be a novel? But I think any idea is good enough to be a novel. The, the question to me of, Do I want this to be the novel I'm working on right now is in many ways more interesting.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a great point. And you know, that question of do I want this to be the novel I'm working on also comes down to how it feels to be working on it. And what, you know, one of the things that that let me know I really had to set that previous manuscript aside is that it was really stressful to work on. I felt like I was sort of pushing against the tide of the times in some way. Um, And with this new project, you know, it was equally scary. It was equally ambitious, but it was also um, really wildly imaginative and different. And I think that was what I needed, especially during the pandemic. Um, You know, I I think so many of us kind of needed an an imaginative escape, a place to go that felt safe Um, and So the feeling of working on this book has been quite different. There's always stress because I hold myself to a really high standard. And as I said, I tend to choose pretty ambitious concepts that, you know, I I don't have any guarantee at the outset that I'm going to be able to execute them the way I want to. But there was always an excitement, a real rush of creativity and a sense of elsewhere with this book.
0: I love that image because I think that so many of us needed that so badly. I'm wondering, did your reading habits change during the pandemic? Cause I know mine did, and I'm just curious about other people's feelings mm. about that time.
1: I'm curious how yours changed.
0: I found um, that I, I previously was more open to reading really, I don't know how else to put it, like brutal material that was, looking at really difficult sides of life and since i felt like i mean i'm quite fortunate in the way i had to do it but there were aspects of that time that really felt i don't know hard enough quote unquote mm-hmm. for to that that reading about things that were really painful that that weren't kind of going to make the world better it, mm-hmm. it didn't feel worth it. Like reading about social justice topics or, or things about the environment that would help was fine. But things where I'm like, am I just wallowing in misery mm-hmm. by reading this? I wasn't as up for that anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. I think that that shift was, was what I felt in my writing and to some extent in my media consumption as well. You know, it has been a really dark Few years, uh, both you know politically and in terms of COVID, and I think you're right that many of us have been seeking not necessarily some kind of Pollyanna-ish escape, but something something that helps us cope with this time. And that, for me, it tends to be art that acknowledges difficulty but also offers um, hope or creativity in the midst of it. Absolutely. Yes.
0: That's, that's more articulate than the way I put it, <laughs>
1: no. but there
0: is this sense of, you know, I want, I want to be engaging with art that, that will take us maybe somewhere better, but isn't mm-hmm. going to slap pink paint on top of it.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think for me, you know, this, this project is very much coming out of my own journey of the past five years or so, which, um, has to do with the way that my life changed after the immortalists as I mentioned there was so much gratitude and excitement and fulfillment I am so thrilled and privileged to have a readership but I also felt quite a bit of pressure and I pushed myself really hard during promotion and my health suffered quite significantly as a result and so with this book even though the, the subject of the book, the concept of the book has nothing on the surface to do with my life, the, the movement of it, which is from trauma and grief to healing and acceptance and some kind of joy in what is, is very much um, my own experience being mapped on. So I I hope that that can offer the kind of thing that I look for in art right now which is you know let, let's not cover over what is traumatic about life but let's also see what can be done um s- see what can be made of of pain and and also where can we find pleasure enjoy and, and cultivate that.
0: Absolutely. This brings up another point, which I think is even goes further in terms of, am I going to explore this idea right now? Or am I going to shift? Because one of the questions of the the messy middle is often, am I continuing with this particular book? It's not always, how do I get through this one? Or how do I best get through that one? Even though that's an important question as well. But I think the question of, how is my health impacted and how is it improved or, or stressed by what I'm writing about?
1: Absolutely. You know, I think with the immortalists, I had had what we call in the industry, a more quiet debut. So my first book, The Anatomy of Dreams, um, did not have the same reach. And so when I had the opportunities come my way that I did with the second, again, I found it very hard to say no. But what I realized over the course of that process is that I was privileging my career and even my, my writing, which is my passion in life and my purpose above my health. And to some extent, my experience of life, I think writers are often observers We're most comfortable sort of watching and making sense of what we see rather than committing to experience. And that's something that I've really worked on in the years since. And, um, part of what I hope will come through in this new manuscript is a real visceral sense of embodiment. um, Because I think one of the things I'm most proud of in the aftermath of The Immortalists is finding a healthier way of living fully while I'm writing fully. That is the dream, isn't it? (laughs) It is. And I mean, look, I'm no, (laughs) I'm no expert. It's a daily process. But, um, you know, part of part of that is being willing to slow down. That's a huge part of it is, you know, being willing to embrace the messy middle, embrace the process. I think, you know, I I think a lot of people can relate to my uh, background in terms of being a really ambitious, hyper-focused person. um, And, you know, that that's done a lot for me in terms of bringing me to where I am in my career, but it's also done harm. Um, And so with this book, I'm really trying to say, like I said earlier, this is the good part. Like this, you know, you, you don't have to rush it once. I think there's so much pressure that writers feel to get to the finish line and to have the book out there. But there's a lot of loss by that time. It's no longer yours. It's not your playground. It's not your elsewhere. And, you know, there's wonderful things about having it be out there. You can bring other people into that world with you. But this is the time when it's private and when it's mine. And so I've really been trying to sink into that and counter my natural instinct to push or grind or rush.
0: Yeah. We're so, uh, that's such a conditioned thing that we want to rush to certainty. We want to rush to know we could do it. But the only time we know we can do it is when we've already done it. And so Mm -hmm. then you're looking back on it thinking, oh, I wish I'd enjoy that more.
1: Yes. It's so true. I've been thinking about that a lot, how, you know, in a sense, if you're waiting until you finish something to have the to feel okay, or to, you know, release your anxiety about whether you can accomplish it, then you're always going to be, um, you know, chasing something that is in the future or retroactively feeling relief about something that's already in the past. And so finding a sense of comfort in discomfort is so much a part of withstanding the uncertainty of writing a novel. There's a writer named Laura Vandenberg who once tweeted something that I've never forgotten, which is that writing a novel feels like leaving your bed unmade for years. And for people who like their bed made every morning, that's really hard. Yes, I make my bed every morning. So I'm like, as do I, as do I. (laughs) And so you really, I mean, talk about the mess, right? You really Mm -hmm. have to just be willing to Sit in that because it's never a good thing to to rush through it just to prove to yourself like okay I I could do this one I could pull this one off there was the end product won't be anywhere near as rich. I love that
0: I love that image because it is that compulsion. It's like giving me an itch as we're sitting here, and Mm -hmm. it makes me think too of something that um, Ruth King, who's a Buddhist teacher said, and she does a lot of work about mindfulness and race. And she said, Mm -hmm. can I be uncomfortable without that being a problem? Mm. Yeah. And I think about that all the time because we think, oh, this is hard. I'm in the middle of this. I'm not sure how the scene is going to work or why this character is doing this or whatever it is that's not sitting right. Yeah. And we think that the, that the, the good part is once we figured it out rather than the yes. good part being the figuring and being yes. in the, the puzzling of it.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I can't say enough how much that resonates. I have nothing to add <laughs>
0: <laughs> because that's what we do. It's like, I mean, I think if we, I think about this a lot because, as you were saying, good ideas don't don't come so often. So that's why you write fiction. I I've sort of realized this year, or that that's why you write novels. That the reason I like not novels must be because I like the messy middle. Because if I didn't want a middle, then I'd be writing short stories because there is barely mm. any middle in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we that's must so true. like this. That's so we true. Must, yeah,
1: we must be happy in this murk. If we very true, choosing I- it. I think part of the reason that I can't bear to write shorter stuff is that there's so much work that goes into creating a world and creating characters, and it sounds so painful to leave it so soon. I mean, I suppose there are some people who might work on a short story for years, and that's incredible. Um, but if you're moving on more quickly than that, I guess I just don't have the, I don't have the stamina to turn over that frequently you know to like create new worlds and new characters um so yeah there is something about that long term relationship that you know we must be drawn to and um and that you know maybe can carry us through the moments when it's agonizing yes or it just
0: feels too far out of reach mhm mhm Which is, yeah, it is its own kind of brutal, but there is just something that keeps drawing you back into it. At least there is for me.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, in the times when it's going well, there's just nothing better. You know, I've always said that like when the writing is going well, it's the, it's the most, it's the strongest natural antidepressant (laughs) there can be. Um, And you know, that I think there's also just the pleasure of swimming around in, in that world over years. So, you know, luckily the, the challenge for me at least comes and goes and, and the times when I think, oh my God, how am I going to figure this out? I don't know if I can do it. I mean, so far with this book, I've been able to, 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 you know, cross those bridges. Um, it's a matter of endurance, but I think also finding these pockets of enjoyment, you know, w- ways that you can relax into the pleasure of it.
0: Absolutely. I have a weird metaphor that I use a lot. And I know, I wondered if you might relate to it because I know you knit as well. Mm. And I'm wondering if there's any way that being a knitter, allows you to hang out in the middle of writing in a different way.
1: Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting because I often think of my knitting as actually like um, a blessedly shorter time scale than novel writing, you know, like even if I'm knitting a sweater and it takes me three months or six months, that's still a fraction of the time that I would take to write a novel. So it's like, oh, you know, this is flying by, like things are really moving. Um, But I do think you're right that, I mean, knitting is by nature, just a very slow craft. I have dabbled a little bit recently in sewing and I'm not very good at it or comfortable in it, but it's like, wow, once you cut out, you know your fabric, that that can kind of take the longest and then the sewing is so fast, you know, it's nothing like the stitch by stitch by stitch work of knitting. Um, so yeah, I do think knitting is certainly a kind of endurance activity as well, even if compared to novel writing, I think it also offers, um, if not instant gratification, at least gratification that comes a bit sooner.
0: Yeah, that's true. I made this sweater recently that took me so long and I thought it was never going to end because it was really complicated color work. And I was like, what was Mm. I thinking? But there was this sense of like each stitch that I put in matters. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's the thing that helps with, you know, it feels like, oh, I'm just doing this activity over and over again. And at certain points it feels like, is this going anywhere? Mm-hmm. Even though you know objectively that it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sewing now that you mention it, it's like that's a bit like the short story, but it's, you know, you might spend, but you spend all this time thinking about how you're going to cut it and the shape of it, right. it be, but then the thing itself happens quickly. But with knitting, it's I always think that our our ritualistic process of coming back to the story again and again, that is a way that it's helped to enjoy the process in the middle is enjoying Mm -hmm. the coming back to it, even if it doesn't feel substantial every moment.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things I think about with writing and with knitting is that when you have to go backwards, it can feel so demoralizing. Oh can, God. Yes. You know, so with knitting, I mean, if any of your listeners are knitters, they will know no matter how expert of a knitter you are, you are going to have to rip back your work for some oh. reason or another way more often than you want to. I recently um, was knitting a sweater. I, I finished the bot. I, yeah, I, I was at the ribbing of the body and then I had to rip the entire body back. because. <gasps> I know it was terrible because I had made a mistake on when I separated the sleeves. Oh, Um, so, you know, stuff like that is going to happen no matter how many years you've been knitting. And with novel writing, I mean, I'll, I frequently will have to go back and undo something or, you know, it's like unpicking those stitches. Yeah. And the temptation is to think, oh, this is movement backwards. But in fact, it's, it's all forwards in the long run because you know, that, that's, you, you have to, you have to go backwards to get forwards. And usually when you go backwards, it's to fix something and make it stronger. So I try to think of, you know, progress as not being purely linear that, you know, whether you're, whether you're going backward or forward in a particular moment, it all, it all feeds into the movement of, you know, the, the progress of the book.
0: Yeah, it almost feels cyclical in a way, like you circle back around, like you were saying that there are aspects of your life that are present, even if it's not visible how the parallels are. And I also wonder, you know, this book that you set aside, if, if almost working on that book for that period of time needed to happen so that you could be working on this one now and Mm. maybe make working on this one now will make it possible to finish that one later. Or there will be some way that that theme comes back around and then it's, it's all part of it.
1: I think that too. And I hope that too. I mean, it's all, it, it all goes into the progression of, of a person as an artist. And so I really do believe that it's not wasted even if it you you don't have the finished book in your hands that you hope to have while you're working on it. Um, you know, it it all matters.
0: And I think that we have such an obsession with time. I mean, this is a particularly American thing. I think just this valuing of how much can I accomplish in how much time equals, yeah. you know, how... Competent or how talented I am, and therefore the middle should be as short as possible (laughs) to be the most competent. And I just, I really fight against that. The longer life goes on, and the longer I watch how sort of destructive that belief can be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very capitalistic pressure. And you know what happens if you have a short middle and you get to the end quickly? Well, then you have to begin it again, and more frequently. And so what that translates into is, you know, more and more books written in a shorter timescale. And that's ideal for capitalism, but it's incredibly stressful and corrosive if that's not the natural way that you work. I mean, I have friends who are commercial fiction writers who can turn out a book of year. Um, and I think that's incredible, but that's, that's not something that I can do. Um, and so I think focusing on quality over quantity is not necessarily what we're um, indoctrinated into in in American culture, but it's so important to push back against if you're gonna find something that's mentally and physically sustainable. Yeah, and then it, I, I just
0: always, I feel like I say this at least once a season, but I'm saying it again, that we spend as writers far more time with the book than any reader, even if it's their very, very favorite book that they read numerous times is going to spend with it. So as writers, the writer deserves to get as much out of the experience as the reader
1: does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I did an interview recently um, in which I was talking about the health struggles that I had after the immoralists and how I've tried to move to a more sustainable model of creating and The interviewer asked a question that I thought was really thought provoking, which was basically, isn't it easy for you to say that now that you're already successful? And I sort of, you know, Mm. I kind of stumbled and had to think about it because I definitely see that point. Um, But at the same time, I think that at any career stage, it's important to figure out what is a sustainable um, working life because otherwise what happens you come at you you push yourself you have an initial success and then you burn out and you can't repeat it um so you know even if you are in an earlier career stage where i think there's absolutely more pressure to grind and push and sort of prove your success what is that worth if if it's not something that you can continue long term so I, you know, I'm I'm open to that sort of critical intervention and I think it's important, but I still think that there's value no matter where you are in your career of figuring out how can I do this in a way that doesn't destroy me, not just now, but for the future. And I think that's, I mean, it's one thing to engage with
0: this question on an individual level. So we can look at, you know, Chloe Benjamin as a writer had a very successful novel. Therefore there are some different choices being made. But the other question I think is, okay, what are, what are we doing with an industry that forces writers to destroy themselves in order to deliver the, the content that we all want? Is that really what we want to be supporting?
1: And I think it's true of so many, I mean, gosh, so many professions. Oh yeah. I think, you know, I think about it in terms of the arts, but Certainly, that's true. You know, across the board, um, and yeah, I, I I think it's not it's not healthy for the creator, and and I don't think it's as fulfilling for the audience when you know you can feel that that someone is maybe not been given the space and time and funding. That's a whole other conversation um, to do to do work at the pace that's best for them.
0: And, and that's, I think, another thing is, you know, how, how much space do you have to have a middle? How much pressure mm-hmm. are you putting on yourself? You know, what are the constraints around that? And it could be a lot of things. It could be how much time do you have from the rest of your life and your other commitments? How much time are you willing to give yourself to work on this project? And many other kinds of things that can come up around this. But I think, what we would would encourage is to give yourself more
1: if you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with the people in your life about where your capacity is. You know, I think something that I learned is that I should have probably spoken up sooner about some of the the side effects I was experiencing when I was doing as many events as I was. And, you know, I, I kind of, soldiered on keeping that to myself. But I think there there is a movement in our culture now toward um, an awareness of how toxic grind culture can be. And when you're open about that, both with the people in your immediate circle, but also just publicly, I think it gives other people permission to think about how they might change their patterns as well. So, you know, you talk about sort of There's the individual experience, and then there's how can we move toward a more self-aware culture in this way. And um, the latter is the reason that I have become quite vocal about my own experience. Um, You know, not because I think that everyone can make the changes in their lives that, that I did. Like, there absolutely is... A strong element of privilege in the fact that I'm able to adjust my working hours and take the years I need to finish a book. But I do find that in speaking out, um, a a lot of people have have shared their own experiences in return and and maybe felt a little bit of permission to be a whole person um, or a more whole person in their professional lives. And and in the way that they um in the extent to which they're transparent and honest about their needs.
0: I think this is, I mean, this is a middle to find as well. It's because I think we have two, we have these polarities that we assume with writing. One is like, okay, you've you've never been published, you're still figuring this out. And then there's this presumption of this kind of like 1980s bestseller, getting jet-setted around to, to fancy events and so on that I think everyone knows isn't happening anymore, but is still uh-huh. secretly kind of hoping for and thinking that, you know, if I if I was really successful, that's how it would look, even though that's unreasonable. And then measuring against that stick rather than thinking what would feel really good to me? And is uh-huh. that maybe completely different than this weird idea I cooked up maybe when I was 12 years old?
1: Hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think that that also makes me think about social media and the pressure that oh a my lot God, of writers yes. feel. You know, to to perform in that way and to kind of develop an appealing platform um, for you know for publishers. And I do consulting around the publishing industry, sharing information and education about the process and. I am often asked this question, sort of how much social media do I have to do? And what I encourage people is pick the lane that you enjoy. You know, that might just be one platform. For me, really, it's Instagram. I have a Twitter, I don't use it very much. And I don't have any other um, social media platforms. I don't have a Facebook author page, but I really enjoy Instagram. And then I also have a newsletter and that's something that, you know, that I enjoy. Quite a bit as well. Um, I think you know audiences these days are savvy about when you're pushing yourself to do something for promotional purposes. And if you only tweet about your own book, um, people people pick up on that, and it's not enjoyable <laughs> for you either. So, um, so I always tell people, you know, pick pick the thing that you would actually enjoy doing, and go with that. And I think finding ways to conserve energy and focus on where you can actually make an impact. Again, it's that quality over quantity element. Um, you know, I hope that's, I hope that's something we can all give ourselves more permission to do.
0: I hope so too. I'm i am curious if we, if we use another, I can't help it with the metaphors, but if we use one like the lake or the, the ocean, you're crossing an ocean in your book. Do you feel like you're out of sight of the first shore that you've departed from, or do you feel like the, the shore on the other side is starting to mm. appear?
1: I'm definitely like, can't see either. <laughs> so, <laughs> like perfect middle. Right. Exactly. Cause I, I, mean, I really am at the halfway point as well. I'm actually a little further than halfway. Um, so, you know, I think I hope, I hope to be sighting the far shore, you know, at some point soon, but, um, but I'm definitely pretty far away from, from where I started. Um, and you know, for this book, just to get a little more like granular, I had a really firm understanding of the first half. Um, I, you know, I knew, what I wanted to happen. I, I, I knew the scenes I had to hit and the second half was always much more of a question mark. So when I, when I crossed over, um, there was definitely some panic. I mean, that, that really happened this summer. And, you know, I, I thought that I knew more about the second half than I did or certain things that I had planned for the second half. I realized well, weren't going to work once I actually got Mm -hmm. into it. Um so there have definitely been some some dark nights of the soul but um but I've I've gotten through them and I've I've figured those things out that I that I thought you know just weren't going to be possible to figure out um so I'd say at this point like I'm I'm swimming like things are, <laughs> things are okay things are good I'm swimming um so that feels good definitely
0: is there anything you say to yourself to sustain hope in those moments when you think oh my god i don't know if i'm going to make it to the other side
1: mm. well i think what helps me is is just the love i have for the project and you know i i often tell aspiring writers that when you when you settle on an idea for a novel you have to love that book so much because you're going to be spending so much time with it And, you know, it's like you said, as a writer, you're going to spend more time with that book than any reader will, and you're going to get frustrated with it and you're going to get sick of it. And so I think you have to start with so much passion um, so that even when that erodes, there's still a real core of, of love and attachment to the project. Um, You know, so, so I think coming back to that, coming back to the pleasure and the joy of it and the excitement that I feel about the concept and the attachment that I feel to the characters, um, you know, is, is enough to keep me going. Um, you know, I, I, for better or worse, I, I can be kind of like a dog with a bone. And <laughs> so it, you know, probably it was a sign of growth in some way to set aside the previous manuscript, because typically that's something that I would never do. Um, but I, you know, I I do think that that sort of innate determination still helps to get me through the humps when it would be easy to throw my hands up.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the tricks. It's like, which feels scarier, continuing with this book or not continuing? Oh yeah. And sometimes it's like when the book is not the right project, it's like, but it feels so scary to not do it anymore.
1: And then you know you're not taking the easy way out if you set it aside. Well, yeah, that's true, but I I do think with with the previous book it was like what is more stressful and difficult continuing or not continuing. And with that mm. the answer was c- continuing to try to push on something that wasn't working. Um but for this manuscript by far, you know, the most the most painful and you know, depressing option would be would be giving up on it. So, um yeah, I think that's a good litmus test. Yeah, it's like, which one of these things is going to break my heart? Right, right. And it's like, well, something's going
0: to break our heart at some point. And sometimes it's the story and it's because we've done a good job. But sometimes it's just the process of getting through it. Mm
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: This has been such a treat to, to
1: visit you in your little boat in the middle of the water. <laughs> well, thank you for visiting. You know, it is such an isolating part of the process. And, um, and, and I think, like I said, there's so much value in having a podcast season that, that focuses on that because we are, you know, writers, we're, we're sort of inherently alone in our little boats, unless you write collaboratively, which for fiction, I think is, is pretty uncommon. Uh, and so it feels good to sort of pull, pull our, you know, pull one person's boat up to the other one and sort of wave from it and, and touch base before we continue on. I know. I feel like I can picture all these little lighters. If you, if you hold your little lighter out of it, you'll see that there's a bunch of the rest of us out here with you too. You're not by yourself. Yes. That's so true.
0: Yeah. That was one of my favorite images in Berlin. Um, we live right near the canals and, People love to get their little inflatable boats out and go down in the canal. And when it was not possible to sort of get together indoors, I think it was, I don't remember if it was summer 2020 or 21 or both, but you would see all these little groups of of inflatable boats gathering at points mm. in the canal so people could visit. And yeah. I feel like that's what we're doing this season.
1: Yeah. And I think that's also what we're doing culturally. I think you're right that, you know, the pandemic has been very isolating, but it has also been in a weird way connective because it's shown us that we're all isolated and that we can't live like that. So whether it is, you know, finding outdoor ways to be together or phone calls or, you know, a conversation like this, um, I, I think in some ways I see more of a drive to connect because we've all realized just how important that is.
0: Definitely. And so thank you for saying yes. When, when I reached out for this season.
1: Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for muddling with me through the, the messy middle of this conversation. You know, it's like, I, I feel so much less polished at this stage because I don't, I don't have my talking points. I haven't done my interviews. You know, I, I am muddling through it and hopefully there's, um, you know, there's value for, for people in hearing that, even if you've had a success as an author, you're always starting from scratch again, and you're always muddling through. So, um, so I guess this this conversation is, can be kind of a testament to that. Oh, definitely. I
0: think it's I think it's a beautiful a beautiful testament of the the beauty of being in the middle.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy
0: thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.